Well, good morning. It's my joy to welcome you all this morning to Trinity Presbyterian Church. My name is Chris Colquitt. I'm a senior pastor here. We're so glad you can be with us this morning. If you're a visitor, we'd love to meet you. I'll be out in the foyer afterwards. Come say hey. But know that you are most welcome. Apologies to those watching the video. We evidently we lost video for a second, but I'm told it's back. We love y'all. We're thankful for you, especially for those in the overflow room who are helping us to worship together. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 4. We're continuing our series in the book of Genesis. We'll be continuing this fall and then into the spring as well. I want to prepare us as we read Genesis 4. Once, once, once we read it and pray, I'm going to get after it preaching to y'all and hopefully have an optimistic can-do approach to what we see in here about Jesus and the way that he has healed us. And yet, I don't want us to miss the tragedy of Genesis 4. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel are not mythical, ideal figures. These are real people. These are parents who welcomed babies whose family fell apart. And as we read this, I want you to feel the tragedy of this story. Okay? This is Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. We pray. Father in heaven, we do grieve at this story. which is so familiar to us, unfortunately, as we live in this fallen world and see our relationships unravel. But Lord, we do thank you that you have recorded this story and that you have not finished it there. 
And we pray now that your spirit would be with us as we attend to your word, that the spirit who breathed these words out would be among us, that I would speak clearly and truly and boldly of the things of Christ, and that all of us would see him and treasure him alone, our salvation. May those who seek you and love your salvation rejoice and be glad. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, if there is any airline incident in this country or a train crash or a bus crash on the highway, they prepare a detailed report. They'll go send investigators, they'll figure out what happened, and they'll write up the report. And if you're a pilot and there are some pilots in this room, you'll actually get briefings of what's happened, what's gone wrong with airlines in the last year. And you read those and you try to figure out how to not make it happen again. Same thing for manufacturers of airplanes. Knowing what went wrong helps us to understand how to fix things. And I want us to treat the story of Cain and Abel this morning with a bit of an investigative bent. What would the NTSB say if they went and looked at the story of Cain and Abel and saw how this thing unraveled? And we're going to see that that unraveling matches beautifully with the provision of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That Jesus Christ comes in and fixes the very things that went wrong for Cain and Abel. Genesis 3 saw our split from our creator. We are alienated from God. And Genesis 4 shows the fruit of that, which means and includes our alienation from one another. As the vertical relationship dissolves, the horizontal falls apart as well. What went wrong? We're going to see. And what can Christ do to fix it? We will see gloriously the things that he has done. Our outline this morning as we go is threefold, as it often is. Here are the headings for you if you're taking notes. First, Abel's blood. Second, Christ's blood. And third, your blood. Abel's blood, Christ's blood, and your blood. So first we need to look at this situation in Genesis chapter 3, the blood of Abel. Let's recall the basic facts. This begins with an offering, and that's very significant. Cain and Abel are brothers. Cain is a farmer. Abel is a shepherd. They bring offerings to God, and they bring them from their own professions. So Abel brings a sheep, and Cain brings the fruit of the land. But what we find is that God has regard. He accepts the offering of Abel, but does not accept the offering of Cain. Our first question we need to ask is why? What's going on? And part of the answer is we don't know. But we know what it's not, and we actually have a pretty good hint of what was going on. It's probably not the case that God preferred the lamb over the grain offering. We see in Leviticus that both of those forms of offering are acceptable offerings to God in certain contexts. And so the issue is not, probably, that God preferred the sheep to the grain. What's more likely is that God, there was something about Abel's heart that made his offering superior to Cain's. This is a common theme in the Old Testament that just making an offering is not what pleases God, but it's the heart from which that offering comes. 
And there's not a lot of detail in this text, but there is this particular detail. Look how Abel's offering is described. It's of the firstborn and the fat portions in verse 4. It's the best of the best. Abel offers to God the very first and the very best of what he has. And when we read about Cain's offering, we get no such detail. And the implication is likely that Abel brought his offering to God from a heart of faith, giving God the very best of what he had. And Cain, there was some defect in the way that he brought that offering to God. Hebrews 11.4, which is printed for in your bulletin, confirms this, that it was the faith of Abel that marked his sacrifice as acceptable to God. So Abel comes in faith and in righteousness, and Cain not so. And And God prefers Abel. He accepts Abel and he rejects Cain's offering. Well, what comes next? Well, Cain's mad. He's angry. God talks to him. And we'll talk about what he says in a little bit. But then he goes off and talks to Abel and he kills his brother. Which leads us to our second question. Why does Cain kill Abel? Why does Cain kill Abel? And the answer from this text, which is clear is that he does it because Cain did not receive the favor of God and Abel did. This is religious violence. Cain is acting out of his distance from God and he is taking it out on his brother Abel who has the blessing of God. This won't be the last time in the Bible nor in Genesis where we have two brothers struggling for blessing and favor. There'll be a theme as we go through. And here Cain wants God's blessing and favor, does not have it, Abel does, and Cain is angry, so angry that he gets Abel out of the way. What I want to argue this morning is that that longing for favor and blessing that Cain feels is the root not only of his murder of Abel, but it's the root of all the hatred and hurt in our heart whether murder at the extreme or just despising people in the everyday. Brothers and sisters, you and I wake up, we woke up this morning naturally looking for favor and blessing. We're seeking it. Not necessarily from Yahweh, some of us are, but from some God, we're looking for favor and blessing. And our sense, our fear, which is the fear of Cain, is that these other people are in my way. That there is scarcity to the blessing and favor that we seek. Cain sees Abel in the way, and what does Cain want to do? He says, get out of my way. I'm going to kill you so that I can receive that blessing. I had the privilege of going to law school in this city a long time ago. And law school is a wonderful state of nature and a perfectly just system in which you are graded on a curve. And in law school, there are only so many A's and only so many B's, and it is indeed a zero-sum game. Professors have to average it to a B or B plus, whatever it is. Which means that your partner sitting next to you in that class is your enemy, right? If they do well, you will do more poorly. That's just the way law school works. That creates a very strange dynamic. UVA actually has a very... uh, um, happy, friendly law school despite this, but there are great stories of Harvard and Yale 
where people would go into the library back when things were not electronic and they would rip out the pages that people needed <coughs> to the books to answer the questions, right? Why? Because if they knew the answer, it was going to be in my way. That's a picture of how we as people view this blessing and favor that we're looking for. You are in my way. There's only so much of it out there and I need to go get it. We can see this in our children. We can see this in ourselves. Where we hate, where we disdain, where we even murder, often, I would say most of the time, it's because that person is in the way of something that we long for, of some favor, of some blessing that we're chasing after. Think about that in your life. Who are you angry with right now? Who annoys you? Who would you, in your quiet of your heart, just as soon be rid of? They're in your way. There's something you want that you think they have or they're going to get or they're in the way of you getting. This is the root of our anger, our frustration, our hatred. This is the root of Cain's murder of Abel. It's downstream of his rejection by God. Genesis 4 comes after Genesis 3. Notice that there's this compounding tragedy to Genesis chapter 4. Things keep getting worse. In Genesis 3, our vertical relationship with God had been broken. Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the garden. Sin was placed in favor. Adam and Eve chose the serpent over God, and they lost their favor and blessing. And so in Genesis 4, we see the fruit of that reality. Adam and Eve are separated from God. Cain is separated from God, and he's longing for a favor that he no longer has in his sin. And so he rejects God by further harming his brother. He kills, he kills Cain. And what the result of that is for him is to actually move him further away from God. He started alienated from God and in his sin. He went deeper into his sin, and he moves at the end all the way away from the presence of God. Verse 10, God confronts Cain and says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood is crying for justice. And Cain can't stand on that ground where the cry for justice is, and so he has to leave. He moves further away from God, further into sin. Verse 16 is this tragic conclusion that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. We need to make, see, make sure we see this connection with Genesis 3. Our broken relationships in life are downstream of our broken relationships with God. Cain is born into a world of sin and separation and he moves further still. It's tragic. We see that borne out in our lives. But even here in Genesis chapter 4, there's a hint that it need not be so. There's two hints, actually. The first is God's first confrontation with Cain. God says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain believed that there was one blessing available and that Abel had gotten it, and he was really upset about that. Abel's in his way. I'm going to kill Cain, get him, kill, Cain, kill Abel, get him out of the way. All will be well. He thought 
that God's blessing was limited and scarce. He thought it was a curve. He thought Abel getting an A meant he got a B. But God addresses him and says, if you do well, will you not also be accepted? And what God is telling Cain in that moment is that the issue is not the scarcity of God's favor and blessing. The issue is the sin of Cain. Cain's sin, not God's scarcity, is the reason for his separation from God. Second hint. When Cain replies to God's judgment and says, this is more than I can bear, and ironically says, someone's going to try to kill me, which is a pretty funny thing for a murderer to say, what does God do? God puts a mark on him that protects him from the vengeance of others. Cain has done nothing to earn this. There's nothing in this story that suggests that Cain is repentant, right? Cain is just scared, and God says, okay, I'm going to place this mark on you, and you're not going to be killed. There's mercy in God's interaction with Cain. And these two hints in our story, first, that scarcity is not the issue, but that sin is the issue, and second, that there's mercy in God point us forward to a better way in which this all might be solved. And that takes us to our second point, Christ's blood. Abel was, not, was the first martyr, but he was not the last martyr. There'd be many who died for righteousness. And we see in Genesis 4 the hints of God's abundant blessing, right, and the hints that he could be merciful. In Jesus Christ, we see those things fulfilled. Like Abel, Jesus was murdered. Like Abel, Jesus' blood cries out. But unlike Abel, it does not cry for justice. It cries for mercy. And that's what Hebrews 12 so beautifully tells us. We read it in our Assurance of Pardon, and it's printed there again for you. 12.24, that Christ's sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus is the thing that cleanses us from our sin, that gives us forgiveness and salvation. Abel's blood cried for justice against his murderer. That drove Cain away. Christ's blood proclaims to us that justice has been met for you and me, the murderers. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Those were Christ's words. Christ's death itself accomplishes the forgiveness of his crucifiers, you and me. Abel offered an acceptable lamb to God, and it ended up getting him murdered. Jesus offers an acceptable sacrifice, but it's not a lamb, it's himself. His blood is the very thing that is offered to God, that is received by God. And unlike Abel, whose favor was limited to him, and Cain said, he's got favor, I don't have it, Christ's favor is offered to us freely. The acceptable sacrifice of Jesus, he turns and says, the favor I received can be yours. This is the gospel, friends. The favor and blessing of Jesus is sufficient, not just for him, but for you And for me, God is merciful. God's blessing is abundant and rich. 
Brothers and sisters, you and I are all Cain, but we have a better Abel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have an Abel whose blood cleanses us from our sin, and we have an Abel whose favor is transferred to us through union with our Lord. We have murdered our brother, and yet our brother has died for us. If that's new news to you this morning, would you hear it and receive it as the greatest news you have ever heard? Our alienation from God is solved by the brother, the good brother, the better able, Jesus Christ. His blood washes us clean. In it we receive mercy and abundant blessing without limit. We're about to talk about how this heals community, and that's all well and good and beautiful, and I'm going to get excited about it in just a second. But before Christ heals our community, he has to restore our relationship to God. Our brokenness with one another is downstream of our brokenness with the Lord, and Christ comes and solves that problem first. And brothers and sisters, you need to solve that problem first. You reconcile to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our third point, though, is that that blood has great effect here among us this very day. I've titled this point, Your Blood, and that'll make sense in just a second. Because the last thing I want us to see is how that vertical breach being solved by the blood of Jesus, and that's what Christ's blood does, how it invites and creates a beautiful community of the church, the beautiful community of love. Because restored community and love for one another is the mark of the Christian church. It's the mark of the Christian. Jesus tells his disciples that they will know, people will know that we are Christians. Why? By the way that we love one another. He will, we will know that we are Christians by our love. And we see this described theologically in Ephesians chapter 2. Now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Ephesians is a beautiful book about this very subject, that Christ his blood has restored our relationship to God and therefore restored our relationship to one another. In a moment, at the end of our service, we will proclaim peace. We will greet one another in that peace. That's the point. What I want to think about, though, as we think about Cain and Abel, is how that works. Because that sounds good theologically. It is good theologically. But how does that happen on a micro level, you and me hanging out with each other? Is it just snap and it's so? I want to I see that in the story of Cain and Abel, we actually see the roadmap to the way that we as people can love one another. If we look at our accident report from Genesis chapter 4, the NTSB report, we saw, I think, two fundamental problems. The first was the insecurity of Cain. Cain wanted the favor and blessing of God. He didn't have it. Abel did. Abel's got to go. Y'all see that, right? Second, the compounding nature of sin 
and guilt. Cain is insecure in God's blessings and senses that it's scarce, right? But then his sin also results in guilt and in a cry for justice that drives him further away from God and into his sin and further away from his family. He's a wanderer. He's a fugitive. He's estranged. Those two realities, that insecurity, right, and that compounding nature are the two things that Jesus' blood comes and beautifully restores and solves in our life. First, we see that in the blood of Christ, you and I have secure blessing and favor with God. You are loved. You are cared for. Your needs are met. They are secure. Your neighbor is not in your way because you have all that you need. And it's been secured by the death and blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot love one another if we do not rest in that love. If you are waking up tomorrow, going out to find favor and blessing, whether from the God of this universe or from some other God of your own creation, people will get in your way and you will get them out of your way. But if you wake up tomorrow morning secure in the love of Christ, secure in the inheritance that is is yours, you can do the thing that Christ calls us to do, which is to love people the way Christ loved us, which is to lay down our life. Love, guys, is not a happy feeling. Love means seeking the good of another instead of yourself. Love means waking up and looking around this room and not thinking about yourself, but thinking about those around you. And going out and working your darndest, even to the death of yourself, to seek the other's good. You can only do that if you are secure in the love of Jesus Christ. Secure in the blessing that he has made for you. And you only know that through his blood. Looking to Jesus empowers us to love. The call of the Christian life is a crazy call. It's a call to death. We can only do that if we know that we are secure. And when we're not secure, we become unloving. The blood of Christ secures our blessing and favor. And the second thing that it does is that the blood of Christ teaches us a new language for our own blood. This is where I want to finish. There's a vicious cycle to the dysfunctional relationships that we experience in our life. And y'all know this. Everyone in this room knows this by experience. Someone starts it, right? And then it keeps going. You've, you've, I, I hear this from my children, right? He hit me first, she hit me first, whatever it is. But, but we all feel that in every relationship, no matter how complex and mature or small, we're harmed, we cry for justice, we retaliate, that person inevitably is harmed, cry for justice, retaliate, and we move further and further in and often just further and further apart. The cry for justice is good, and yet it draws us apart from one another. It draws, drives Cain from the ground. When we are wronged, we cry for justice. The only way for us to live in unity among sinners in this life is to teach our blood a different language. Your blood needs to learn to speak the words of Christ's blood. 
which means that when you bleed, and brothers and sisters, you will bleed. People will inflict wounds upon you. The people sitting next to you have, and they'll do it again. Is your blood going to cry for vengeance? Or is your blood going to cry mercy and grace and forgiveness? This is the Christian life. We can do it because we are secure in Christ. And secure in Christ, we look to Jesus and we see the way his blood talks and we go and we do the same thing. When you are harmed by another, whether in marriage or in family or in work, you can cry for justice and you would be right. Or you can speak words of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And if we do the latter, we will stick together even though we have harmed one another and will continue to harm one another. This is the way of Jesus. It's the way of forgiveness. It's the way of mercy. It's the way of grace. And the beauty of that way matches and exceeds the tragedy of Cain and Abel. Would you live in that place? We need to learn the blood of Christ. We need to learn that we are secure in it. And we need to learn to speak its words to one another. And if we do, we will get to taste, just a taste, but a beautiful taste of the glorious community that Christ has created and is creating among us. May it be so in this church. God help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice that your blood speaks a different and better word than the blood of Abel. That Christ Jesus came and ended the cycle and began redemption. Lord, would you help us to see in the blood of Jesus our security, our comfort, our status as beloved sons of the Most High God. And out of that security, would you invite us and strengthen us to go and bleed and die for our neighbor seeking their interests above our own. And when we are harmed, Lord, forgiving the way that you have forgiven us. Lord, these things are hard. They're easy for me to say. They're hard for us to live. Would your spirit be at work among us to heal division, to restore relationships, and to strengthen and encourage us on the way? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.